I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. Here's 1963. The album is My Son, Then Not, the artist Alan Sherman, and my guest, Stephen Tobolowsky. Thank you so much for being here. Good afternoon. Glad to be here. So not only... Okay, so now we have discussed this album before, but I, I this is one that a variety of people have been a fan of, like people from all different backgrounds. Um... This is also sort of momentous episode, if only because this is the first time I've ever had anybody on the show uh, who have played on stage before. Because I've done Groundhog Day a couple times on stage, <laughs> and of course, the second they saw me, I became net. And so it's very exciting. I've never had this happen before, so thank you for that. Yeah. Let's well, I just came from the Social Security office here in Burbank, mm -hmm. where someone tried to steal my identity. I won't say it was, wasn't me. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying... You know, they're downsides mm -hmm. to being Ned. Mm -hmm. yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> so what is uh, what is this album to you? When did you first hear it? Young Kid? Oh, Young Kid. And and it, it's one of those things that as you age, it changes into different stuff. Uh -huh. And when we heard it as a kid, it was the sensation that you could only imagine pre-Beatles. Uh-huh. You, you know, we we got the album, My Son the Nut, and then we, as soon as it came out, we got My Son the Folk Singer, sure. we got My Son the Celebrity, we got all these, and I believe, I, I believe it's one of the few comic performers in albums, Alan Sherman, I believe, that all three of these albums were released just a few months apart. Yeah, they're very, very cool. And they all went to number one at mm -hmm. Billboard, uh, for the Billboard album. I mean, it was a sensation you can't imagine. So as a child, we all thought of Alan Sherman as the funny guy. Mm -hmm. And all the kids wanted to listen to Alan Sherman. And so now, of course, with different ears, with grown-up ears, I was listening to the album again because... I just happen to be on this show now that Norman Lear is uh, executive producer, One Day at a Time, uh -huh. in which I play Leslie Berkowitz, doctor, and one of my favorite performers from my past, mm -hmm. Alan Sherman. So as, as information for the show, mm -hmm. I dug back into the vaults and started listening to Alan Sherman again, and I realized <laughs> what... An amazing album this is, but completely different from anything I thought when I was a kid. Okay. You know, when I was a kid, it was Hello Mudda, Hello Fada. Yes. Right. That was that was the hit. And, of course, I spent a lot of time this week knowing I was going to be here thinking, why was Alan Sherman the funny guy? Mm -hmm. And the simplest reason in my mind was that he couldn't sing. Yeah. If you, mm -hmm. if you could put your mind back in, what was this, 63? Mm-hmm. Everybody could sing. Mm -hmm. And not only could everybody sing, they could all sing well. Right. Okay. So, I mean, you had Johnny Mathis. You had all these sure. great, great, great singers, Sinatra. I mean, everybody sang. But this guy could not sing a note. <laughs> he was terrible. <laughs> and and But his lyrics were, were uh, very funny, very odd, very clever. But Hello Mudda, Hello Fada was the song that really captured everybody on the radio because he was being a kid. Yeah. And so as a kid, we loved we loved this song. My mother loved it, my father, my father loved it. <laughs> it it described childhood angst perfectly. Uh -huh. Now looking back on it and, and listening to it again, I see a whole different world inside of my Sunday nut. Mm -hmm. Whole different world. And I'm going out on a limb here. That's fine. That's what we do here. I'm saying <laughs> a lot. If I were a scientist mm -hmm. and I were to do a time capsule mm -hmm. for people from another planet to come and listen to try to understand how we lived on Earth during the 1960s, mm -hmm. you would put this album in there. Yeah. It is so deep. It it goes so deep, and it's not like Hello Mudda, Hello Fada, but um, what is it? Hey, here's to the crabgrass. What is what is uh, Hail to the crabgrass? Let me pull up the track. Life of here. sweet suburbia. 
Uncomplicated. So glad we made. Yes, here's to the crabgrass. That's here's to the crabgrass. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you listen to that song, yeah. Now a lot of people see the connection between Weird Al sure. and Alan Sherman mm -hmm. because they're both song satirists, parodists. Mm -hmm. They took a song that existed and they wrote new lyrics to it. But Alan Sherman is a lot different than Weird Al in that to understand Alan Sherman's songs, you have to be a creature of 1963. For sure, for sure. There, uh, I remember as a child listening to this, like, uh, Hello Mother, Hello Father, mm -hmm. that the, uh, the coach or something at the camp wanted them all to be men, and so he read to us from something called Ulysses. Mm-hmm. I remember asking my mother and father what Ulysses was. Uh huh. Yeah. They had no idea. Of course. Uh, uh, you know, and I'm thinking like, well, was it, was it the Ulysses of? I was too young to even know the Greek myth, mm -hmm. but they were talking about Ulysses by what was James it Joyce. James Joyce? Mm -hmm. yeah. Because it was like the weirdest, strangest sexual book written at mm -hmm. the time. Right. God. Yeah. So and and there's also. Uh, Live like Thoreau there. Mm -hmm. I remember. Oh my God, right. Yeah. I didn't even know what that was. And mm -hmm. I asked my mother and father, of course, they had never heard of Thoreau either. Mm -hmm. But as a child, and we didn't have the internet. Sure. As a child, listening to the Alan Sherman songs, it made me, one, want to know what the original songs were that they came from. Mm -hmm. So in that way, it was educational. But then I had to look up all the references yeah, huh. to see what it was. And, uh, it, it was expansive. Now, I don't think, I don't know if comedic songs do that now. If they right. go to references of literature, if they go to references of Western civilization, right? I just think they all go to popular culture. For sure. And, and if you listen to the audience listening to My Son the Nut, it appears to be a kind of uh, New York, mm -hmm. West Side educated audience that all went to college and they know what all these references Everything. are yes it's all landing a hundred percent yeah a hundred percent and and uh it makes everything kind of educated in jokes and i don't know if that exists anymore right i i recall when i i mean the only one i would have heard gro growing up was hello mother hello fada i remember just thinking oh it's a funny story none of none of the references that there wasn't internet yet either uh but none of the references did i understand did i could i have even remotely even thought to look up i was just like oh that must be a joke adults get and i just waved it off now that's something now that's something that existed when i was a child mm -hmm. in 1963 that doesn't exist now mm -hmm. now it's not a joke adults get mm -hmm. now it's a joke kids get Tr yeah sure yeah you know, like now it's you're too old to get this joke mm -hmm. because you're on the verge of dying. I figured out <laughs> I figured out how nature kind of culls the herd now, mm -hmm. and that is with iTunes. As soon as you're unable to download the current edition of iTunes and you have to get your son in to do it, that's when nature is saying, like, you're next. You're 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 starting to go, my friend. Uh, I I think now there's two songs on here that have an enormous sort of parallel strain that was eerie to me. Mm -hmm. And that is Automation mm -hmm. and Eight Foot Two Solid Blue. Yes, right. Uh, Eight Foot Two Solid Blue, five yep. transistors in each shoe. Has <laughs> anybody seen my guy? Blue sight nose, rust proof toes, and when her antenna glows, she's the sweetest Martian gal. So you had to know that was Five Foot Two, Eyes of Blue. Mm -hmm. but. It was automation, I know, that was making the factory go. Was it IBM? Was it Univac? Was it all the gears going clickety-clack, dear? Do you remember when computers went clickety-clack? Nope. No. Yeah. Exactly. That's the old computers. Those <laughs> were the ones that like are in the 60 science fiction movies that mm -hmm. are look like big tape recorders. But in both of these, curiously, in both of these songs, Automation and Eight Foot Two Solid Blue, they're both love songs mm -hmm. involving technology. Yeah. Just in an age now where we're inventing sex robots. Yeah, it's true. How <laughs> far forward thinking was this album? And in, in automation, it was the computer 
that broke up his real relationship with mm-hmm. the real person because uh, the woman's job became obsolete and she got fired. Mm-hmm, right. And then the computer who took over her job started winking at him and blinking at him, and he knew that when the computer pulled him on her lap, that it was like serious. So, good. so, so you have this romance with machines, just like eight foot two, solid blue, five transistors in each. You have sex and machinery going together, which I thought was interesting considering it, the era it was made. For sure, yeah, it's it's a nice you know, and it's a nice it's a solid metaphor for being obsessed with technology and being afraid with it at the same of of it at the same time. You know, I really I, I like that, but absolutely now it's got it rings completely different. I hadn't even occurred to me when I first listened to this. Yeah, and and uh, what I was saying before about. Western culture, mm-hmm. you could not even get it to understand the first song. You come a long way, old King Louis. Yes, right. King Louis, the, what is it? The King Louis the Sixteenth was the king of France in seventeen eighty. Whatever mm-hmm. he was worse than Louis the Fifteenth. He was worse than Louis the Fourteenth. He was worse than Louis the Thirteenth. Mm-hmm. He was the worst since Louis the First. So good. I mean, but it made me as a child. Mm-hmm want to know mm-hmm. the history of France. I get that, yeah. So now I'm wondering, since you listen to all the albums, mm-hmm. do do any of the comic albums push you into understanding anything about culture mm-hmm. other than uh, vaping and drug paraphernalia? <laughs> Nothing now. Nothing now, to be sure. I mean, I don't want to say that. I don't want to say bar none. I, I'm sure there have been something. There's been something where somebody's made a uh, just a deep joke that I decided to dig a little into, but nothing until I dig back into my like if fire sign. I've got a ton of fire signs sitting around. Yeah. You can't listen to those passively. You kind of almost have to stop your brain and just well shit. Now I have to look this up or you know or stop listening altogether. <laughs> exactly. And and what comedy now goes to is behavior. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas Alan Sherman in My Son the Nut, My Son the Celebrity, My Son the Folk Singer was going to culture. Mm-hmm. You, you know, he was going to the educational system as opposed to current behavior. Yeah. What are the mores between men and women? No. Back in 63, we knew what the behavior was between men and women. Mm-hmm. We understood what the rules were. Mm-hmm. Now we don't know what the rules are. Right. And but then we 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 did and so all of the songs were kind of about the rules here here's a topic i didn't know i was going to bring up i'll bring this up i'll <laughs> okay. bring this up is that i think in a way in any time you divide up comedy mm-hmm. it's arbitrary but if you could divide it up in an arbitrary sort of accurate way you've got um farce mm-hmm. satire and slapstick mm-hmm. as the three basic yeah. houses of comedy. Farce is about 90% of all of comedy, which what I call farce is comedy of um, import priorities, okay. comedy of priorities. And what it is 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 when things are important to you that shouldn't be important, mm-hmm. it's funny. Yeah. Like uh, Robert De Niro in... Uh, meet the parents with the poem about his mother and how he's going to get it put onto a plate, mm-hmm. right? So you have, that's farce. And also things that, so you have things that become important that shouldn't be important and conversely things that shouldn't be important that are important. Okay, That's how you get a joke. All right. Then you have satire, which is where Alan Sherman lives. Mm-hmm. And for satire, it is comedy of form. Mm-hmm. So you have to know what form you're dealing with. And and slapstick, I'll just say, is like you're at the center of a hurricane, which may be fire sign theater. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, they're a solid mix of that and, and, and satire. And Monty Python, For sure. you, you know, you throw in satire, but it's also you're in the eye of the hurricane. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's So I could call that, again, it's arbitrary, but slapstick. Mm-hmm. But for Alan Sherman to do satire, you have to follow the form, which is why I think it's interesting that in My Son, The Nut, they chose to have orchestration. Yes, yeah. To make the song sound as legitimate as mm-hmm. possible. To make satire really work, 
you have to do the form right. Yeah. If you try to be goofy with the form, it's not as funny. Absolutely. So the fact you have these perfect arrangements mm -hmm. of these songs for Alan Sherman helps make the satire go. Mm -hmm. Plus the fact, like, instead of the French song, C'est si bon, mm -hmm. you have a radiologist singing, <laughs> I see bones. I see gizzards and bones and a few kidney stones among the lovely bones. You have, uh, instead of what kind of fool am I, mm -hmm. you have one hippopotami cannot get on a bus because one hippopotami is two hippopotamus. <laughs> So a pair good. of gooses geese you know so you have you it you have to know what the songs are to realize how he's using those songs mm -hmm. to be close and and in terms of that alan sherman he he is right up there with weird al mm -hmm. in terms of matching the form that he's emulating yeah of course weird, weird al even gets sued right yeah i mean he's gotten in trouble i think the once but that was yeah, I mean he's uh, he's big on getting permission for that exact reason, so yes, he doesn't, yes, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, and you know the thing about Weird Al too is like early on, which I mean his early albums are the ones that sucked me into his stuff. He did a little bit of the opposite, where he the accordion was so ever present that it was definitely making it goofy. But as he's gone on, the accordion only shows up in his polkas for the most part, and he's really stuck to his guns on like this has to sound identical you know, to the original song. And they play it, you know? It's not like a karaoke backing track. He's got this amazing band that just kicks the shit out of these songs, you know? And Weird Al was the child genius of video. Yeah. So Weird Al was made by video as mm -hmm. much as anything else because those videos are so funny. Yeah. And what Alan Sherman is from listening to the albums is he is a creature of the nightclub. Yeah. And that was kind of... Growing up in Texas in 63, nightclub is kind of a naughty place. Mm -hmm. That was a grown-up place. Right. So when we were listening to Alan Sherman, we thought we were listening to grown-up, adult, kind of edgy, scary music. I got it. I got it. Instead of like <laughs> someone who can sing. So but yeah. <laughs> that's, that's so good. You know, I hadn't thought of it as soon as you brought it up. <clears throat> pardon me. I hadn't thought of it in terms of right before the Beatles until you brought it up today. That is a very weird shift. Was it a shift for you? Like, I mean, were you a Beatles fan? I mean, there are people who weren't. So I'm just curious. It was weird. You know, the the, the Beatles were my early life. Mm -hmm. But I have to say, growing up in Texas, it was a big gear shift from going to my son, The Nut, being <laughs> the greatest album we ever heard, mm -hmm. to the yeah, 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 mm -hmm. the noisy yeah, yeah, yeah. And in Texas, where we were, <sighs> there were a lot of people who didn't like the yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And and we were turned off by all those girls screaming and crying. <laughs> and, you know, I think it was... The Beatles, of course, we warmed up to because they weren't going away. Mm -hmm. Everybody was hitting the Beatles with the idea of, like, you're one-hit wonders. Yes, sure. You're going to be yeah, 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 and you're going to be gone. Mm -hmm. But they didn't understand that they were dealing with the uh, Franz Liszt, the Mozart, uh, the Schubert of our generation. Yeah. The greatest composers we will know probably in our lives. Yeah. Uh, these guys from Liverpool. And I remember there was an enormous shift with, I guess we're typical, with Sgt. Pepper. Mm -hmm. There was an enormous shift. And, and so if you consider the Beatles started when I was in 64, right, the next year, mm -hmm. from my son, the nut, with Ed Sullivan, and you couldn't hear anything. It was all screaming. Mm -hmm. And we thought, ah, to hell with that. <laughs> but then you know, they kept coming out with album after album and hit song after hit song after hit song. It was relentless. Yeah. It broke you down. And <laughs> and and it didn't matter if you wanted rock and roll or if you wanted Michelle, my bell, uh -huh. if you wanted ballads. But then you hit Sgt. Pepper and it was it was hard to deny mm -hmm. that we were on the doorstep. And we, we kept thinking each album has to be the end. Mm -hmm. No one could be this creative and this productive. Right. And of course, I guess for me, that went all the way until college. College uh, was Abbey Road. Mm -hmm. 
And I remember I went on a, this is a naughty story. I'll tell you a naughty story. <laughs> I, w- I was on a, the Lions Club, sent me to Germany mm-hmm. uh, to to do a student exchange. So okay. I stayed with a family in Germany and their kids stayed with my folks. Boy, did they get the short end of the stick. <laughs> so I was in, I think I was in Cologne okay. or Munster or something like that. And the Let It Be album just came out. Mm-hmm. So I was, I went to a store and I was going to buy it, but I got freaked out as to how floppy European albums were. Really? Interesting. You know, because okay. your American albums are kind of stiff. Mm-hmm. European albums are kind of loosey-goosey, kind of mm-hmm. floppy. So I, I wasn't sure about this. So I did not buy that album. Okay. So I'm walking back, and this very tall Englishman came up to me, and he said, uh, he asked me if I wanted a beer. Now, I was 19 years old at the time, and this guy was considerably older, and I said, well, no, no, sir, no, I, I not going to drink here, not going to drink here. He says, you don't know who I am, do you? <laughs> and I go, no, sir, I don't. I'm George Martin, Holy producers shit. of the Beatles. Immediately in my mind, I only have two probabilities coming in my mind. Mm. Either this guy was probably one of the most form- fa- most famous men in the world, who had to use his reputation mm-hmm. to get a 19-year-old up into his bedroom to give him a roofie. For sure. Or mm-hmm. this guy was lying mm-hmm. and pretending he was one of the most famous Englishmen in the world just to get a 19-year-old up into his room to slip him a roofie. Mm-hmm. Either way, I figured you can't trust an Englishman on vacation. <laughs> but that is when I think I met George. That's as close as I ever came to the Beatles. Holy crap. I think holy crap indeed. <laughs> but... Um, you, you know, it, it may have been circumstance, but it was the Beatles that pretty much ended Alan Sherman. Mm-hmm. That was the end of that kind of goofy, goofy stuff. Because mm-hmm. in a way, the Beatles, and I just am saying this because I'm such a huge fan of the Beatles. <laughs> the Beatles provided humor for the world. Absolutely, yeah. So mm-hmm. much humor in in their songs and so and and i think in terms of comedy albums it seemed like it kind of went you had the bob newharts and those people kind of when was bob newhart uh god i think it was 60 for the first one 1960 uh-huh. so so he even predated the beatles mm-hmm. cuz he was gigantic too for sure. but but uh you know in our household alan sherman was a legend uh, not to be touched until he vanished from sight <laughs> shortly after that. Yeah. And I hear he had all sorts of trouble with health and mm-hmm. all sorts of things. There's a, I, I don't know all the stories for sure, but every, you know, you, that's what you always hear about these guys who like did like Von Meter. Von Meter, who's a, I love the first family. Come and on. and his, his story after is, ins- I'm actually speaking with his widow right now um, to, to talk to her more about like maybe interviewing her about Von Meter. Um, but yeah, his story is the most fascinating to me. I'm curious. Okay, actually, that's interesting because I never heard this story. Uh, I've never heard the story of being beaten down by the Beatles until accepting them. That's fascinating to me. No one's ever told that story that I've heard. Uh, I I always like to ask people who were around when the first family was there. Did your family have it or? Damn right. Yeah. We ran to the store to get the first family. We we I th- and I want to say we heard Vaughn Meter for the first time. It was either on Ed Sullivan on the Jack Parr show, yeah. and he did this, and we were amazed of course. at this impersonation. It was so great. So we ran out and got the first family, and I, I can't even imagine such an event happening these days. We had an old Magnavox mm-hmm. with the turntable, mm-hmm. and we, our family, we sat around the Magnavox, so just good. like in the 30s, listening to FDR doing a fireside <laughs> chat. We sat around the Magnavox listening to my son, the the nut, my mm-hmm. son, the folk singer, all those, and we sat around listening to Vaughn Meter, uh, the first family. And I remember not so much like Alan Sherman. I would still put Alan Sherman in the time capsule mm-hmm. because there is everything about civilization then, about the move to the suburbs, uh, about softball games, about maids, about all, all this, the way life was lived back then. Mm-hmm. But with Vaughn Meter, 
you you had this stuff. Uh, they talked about designers, Oscar de la Renta and Oleg Cassini, and 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 all, and all of these kind of references that only the extremely wealthy and the extremely mm. untouchable people would know of. Mm-hmm. And and I remember uh, I used to do an impression in school of Vaughn Meter doing Kennedy. <laughs> and everybody in my class, well, I, I don't think I could do it. Now it sounds like I think uh, Jimmy Stewart. Um, and a robot ducky. I, I can't remember. <laughs> That's the funniest thing. I can't remember what that was, but we, hey, you know, I'm trying to think. So there was Kennedy. Mm-hmm. We could laugh with Kennedy. Mm-hmm. He was beloved and hated in the right way mm-hmm. to where we could laugh with him. Couldn't mm-hmm. laugh at LBJ. LBJ was really not a funny kind of guy. No. You know, and, and uh, let's see, we had uh, LBJ. Was then after LBJ, was it, was it? Why am I blank? It's Nixon, right? Nixon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Nixon could. Well, Nixon was, Nixon was a genius in that he was the, he was the one who started to break civilization into pieces uh-huh. by appearing on uh, laugh and yeah. going shock it to me, yeah. shock it to <laughs> me. So ridiculous. And it was, and, and it was an easy step from there to having uh, you have Dana Carvey could do imitations of mm-hmm. Bush Senior doing of you know in fact. Dana Carvey's impersonation of Bush Sr. made the country love Bush Sr. Right. more than we normally did, was mm-hmm. how phenomenal that impersonation was. But it was one step from Richard Nixon appearing on Laugh-In, going, shock to me, to Clinton mm-hmm. with them saying, do you wear boxers or briefs? Right. And and you see the the crumbling of civilization of 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 the respect again. You may, you get a laugh. Remember what I was saying about comedy of priorities mm-hmm. is when when you take something that should be important, make it not important. Mm-hmm. You're able to get a laugh. Yeah. But when you do that with the president, you start to break things apart. For sure. So you have. Uh, you wear boxers or briefs, it got a huge laugh, mm-hmm. as I recall at the time. And and uh, then with the beginning of, of, of Younger Bush, mm-hmm. you know, George of W, you had the beginning of a different kind of humor mm-hmm. where it began to be polarizing. Mm-hmm. You had mockery. Yeah. But mockery, I don't think, would have existed. Maybe it would have. But it was easier for mockery to exist if it with with uh, Saturday Night Live with with uh, Phil doing Reagan, sure. which was so brilliant, yeah. and doing Clinton, which was so brilliant. Mm-hmm. His impersonations were so incredibly brilliant, um, and and with Nixon with with the socket to me, so it all kind of broke down. And after then, it's all been polarizing. Mm-hmm. The the humor the humor of tearing down the presidents has all been polarizing. It's a really good point. I you know I, I hadn't thought of it in those terms. I wrote a, a thing for uh, some comedy website. I've forgotten the name right now. Great, good job. Oh, the Interabang. It was about I call they do a thing where the five greatest or the five this the five that. So I picked the five albums that tried to bring down Nixon because Kennedy plenty they were all I would say the majority of them ninety nine percent of them. In good fun. Yes. They were like, we love Kennedy, great fun. And half of them were just, let's capitalize on the success of the first family, including the second first family album. And then there's this weird thing where we have to pull them all off the shelves because he's been assassinated and obviously ruins Von Meter's career. But then Nixon, there was n- there's no fun album about Nixon. They're all, fuck this guy, <laughs> get him out. He's done. We, he's ruined. Orson Welles did an album about... Uh, about Nixon and LBJ and all these just just all these crazy corrupting influences because we just lost hope, and it's fascinating that that shifted that quick between presidents, you know? Yeah, and it, it's 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 pretty remarkable. I uh, I remember I had to do a voiceover of Nixon mm-hmm. 
but it was for some kind of commercial. Okay. Where he was like a used car dealer, you know, and it was, it was you know, I can't do Nick's anymore. I, I, I have to hear him to do it. But here we are, you know, we have a Ford. We have Fords here. And, and the joke was that he had left the presidency to sell cars. Oh, my God. And, and it was for a real firm in San Francisco. You know, it was a joke for, to get people to. But that is how far it had fallen. Yeah. Uh, the difficulty is it's always easier to make the great fall than it is to elevate the lowly. For sure. So you end up with a lot of lowly. Mm-hmm. A lot of lowly. Uh, which I'm thinking with with Alan Sherman, he represented the lowly. Mm-hmm. You know, as a guy, he mm-hmm. was a schlub. Sure, sure. He was a schlub. He couldn't sing. His his jokes were kind of uh, kind of very corny, mm-hmm. but they still make me laugh. I mean, do does this album make you laugh? Yeah, it does. It does, especially since some of it is still remotely new to me because again hello mata hello hello fada eventually lost its sheen a bit only because it heard it a million times and i had it on yes. the dr demento compilation but then when i had to listen to it for the first time which i think i think was with the voice of teddy ruxpin if i'm not mistaken uh we had to listen to this album and everything was brand new to me i did look it up you know thank god wikipedia was there yeah and understanding that little bit of context was like yeah this is really good i mean it made me laugh anyway you know just out of sheer recognition you know the, the base part of my brain was laughing. And then understanding it more made me laugh more. It, and and I don't think, and I don't think. Whoa. Sorry about oh, that. Is that. That's my phone, folks. That's fun. Boy, was, I, I swear to God it was off. You there, saw me turn it off. There off is now. a girl in my improv class who is a diabetic now, and she mm-hmm. has a pump. Oh, yeah. The pump, and it starts dinging. If there's something wrong. Somebody here yesterday so, was having so that happen. <laughs> I always used to think like, oh, somebody's phone is on. But ah. now, you know, in class, if it goes off, I'm going like, is, is she okay? Of course, Are you right. okay, darling? I mean, you know, do we need to, <laughs> what do we have to do? That's funny. Does hers look like a cell phone too, just like the one I saw yesterday? Well, hers, I think, is is in her pocket. Oh, okay, and it's yeah, a, yeah. something that's implanted oh, in I her. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. Ugh. That sounds so uncomfortable. God, life is so awful. But, but, but. <laughs> But yes, to answer your question, it does still make me laugh. Alan Sherman. Yeah, and, and I'm trying to think. We we had Longley, Oting, Louis, Ceci Ball. I remember I was in, I want to say, fifth grade. Mm-hmm. And I auditioned for the talent show doing Five Foot Two, Solid Blue. Because <laughs> it was just the funniest song in the world. And it was also at the time that all the space movies were happening. Sure, yeah. So so Mars was happening. People were... were uh, uh, that was back when Cape Canaveral was Cape Canaveral before mm-hmm. it became Cape Kennedy oh, yeah. and became Cape Canaveral again. Mm-hmm. So it is... It, it, again, I put it in the time capsule. That's perfect. I, you know, I've never had anybody. We we don't quite look at them that way to see if an album would fit. Is, is it would this be worthy of preserving by our standards, by our personal standards? Like, I don't know which albums are in the Library of Congress, but I mean, it's always interesting to know which ones would mean that to you are just the symbol of this era, and that's that's a really good one. Let me ask you a question. Yes. What do you think mm-hmm. my mother's favorite song on this album would be? Not knowing your mother that well. Not knowing my mother as well as I do. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's not that one. I'm going to say it's not that one. Oh, that's pretty. Uh, I'd forgotten about this one, actually. Uh, the first one that pops out is you're, go- you're Getting to Be a Rabbit with Me. I just really like that one particularly. Yeah, I love that song, but mm-hmm. that's not the one. Okay. Right. It was Hail to the O Fat Person. Mm. <laughs> that was my next choice. And the like... reason why is because... That was what our mother told us, uh-huh. that we had to clean our plates every day because the children in Europe were starving. So I clean my plate, you know, yeah. the children in Europe are still starving, and I got fat, <laughs> is what Alan Sherman says. But my mother laughed so hard at that, to where she cried. Mm-hmm. And clearly it is it is kind of a funny song, not the funniest song on the album. Mm-hmm. It's the final song on the album, Oh Hail to the Fat Person You Kept Us Out of War. <laughs> it is, um, but it shows once again 
one of the 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 main essence of any of the comedy albums whenever it is is the recognition of truth mm-hmm. it's not the exaggeration of truth it it is is not coming up with something absolutely absurd like Monty Python is able to do time and sure. time again. Yeah. God knows how they're able to continue to do it. Mm-hmm. What imagination! But the simple recognition of truth is what make people laugh over and over again. Which is why I think the form of satire works so well because the one thing people recognize is the song that it's a parody of. Sure. So you have that truth. Uh, that was our lives growing up. Eat, clean your plate. You have to eat everything on your plate mm. all the time. Eat everything on your plate. And I ended up wearing uh, Husky's pants for the chubby boy. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine that kind of marketing today? Uh-huh. You know, pants for the chubby boy. Yeah, let me have a pair of those. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. my God. Yeah. Did, did comedy albums become remain a thing in your life after you left the house? Well, after I left the house... Nothing became a thing in my life. I was a theater major, and uh, I didn't have a record player mm-hmm. for years. I didn't have a TV for years. But what I had was a tape player, and I took a reel-to-reel tape recorder to my dorm room and with recordings of Peter, Paul, Mary's Greatest Hits, uh-huh. which I played ad nauseum. <laughs> and my roommate, Jim McClure, loved uh, Tony Bennett mm-hmm. and wanted and he brought the greatest hits of Tony Bennett. So our room, if you walked up and down fourth floor Morrison Hall, we were the most unpopular people <laughs> in the nineteen sixty eight and sixty nine, <laughs> listening to Peter Paul and Mary and Tony and Bennett. Tony Bennett. Wow. But uh we, we did not listen to comedy albums. We we listened to nothing except probably the testament of the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Whatever the Beatles were listening to, they would play in the theater department, and we realized that's the next turn the world was taking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think for me, full circle was on Abbey Road to, to the song "Because." Mm-hmm. Because. As a kid, I grew up, I played piano, I played Moonlight Sonata, mm-hmm. and that I could hear that because was Moonlight Sonata played backwards. Mm, right. And I thought, man, these guys are the new classicists. Mm-hmm. And I think as we look back at, at, at that era, I think as we get older and older and older, we'll go like, I cannot believe we lived at the time where this stuff was written. For sure, you know, so good. I, also, my my son, the nut, but but the, <laughs> the Beatles were much better. <laughs> I do love that your dorm room was absolute polar opposites, super square and and pretty hip. You know, that's that's pretty great. That's well, uh, you you know, I you you think Tony Bennett is pretty hip? Uh, I'm gonna say the other way around. Oh, I, oh. I like Tony Bennett fine, but I'm squares they get so you know yeah i would say peter paul Paul, they seem hip to me but maybe i'm wrong i dig the mamas and the papas and Mm -hmm. the trip sunset trip or whatever in la you know uh they even made fun of the beatles that was good uh yeah but but they had uh i had never heard of led zeppelin I'd never heard of any of those people really? that the world was listening to at that time because I listened to no music. And the Wonder of Wonder, Miracle of Miracles, was I discovered the third floor of the drama building mm-hmm. had a music library Ooh. with thousands of albums. And I used to go up there with the girl I was in love with, and the place was empty. Holy no one cow. was there. And we used to go and pick out albums that we had never heard of. If it was Shostakovich or Rachmaninoff, it's the more syllables, the better. <laughs> and we would put it on and listen to it. And then afterwards, we would go out and talk about how this music made us feel. But it was all classical music. I love it. That's so good. Yeah, it was, it was unique. It was unique. You know, I'm realizing I didn't look this up and should have. I like to ask this of people. Have you ever been on a comedy album? Have I been on a comedy album? That's also sometimes the response. People are like, have I? Yeah, I wonder <laughs> if I have. I know I've done a lot of video games, and I know, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think 
I don't, I don't think I've been on a comedy album. Uh, again, I'm looking at all the people on your wall here mm -hmm. to see if I performed with any of them. It's not I performed the with Weird Al. Yeah, we worked together uh, on uh, Real Housewives of Orlando. Oh my god, it was hilarious. I love he, it. he played a uh, life coach. <laughs> Uh, and I played the old rich guy married to one of the, uh, uh, worked with Bob Newhart, mm -hmm. but never on a comedy album. Uh, I bet if I pulled out, well, I mean, I've got about 500 albums back here. I'm sure there's some people in this giant pile yes. of crap that you worked, worked with. with Mel Brooks <sighs> a couple times. You know, Mel Brooks was really important to me, even though Mel Brooks doesn't know how important he was. But he gave me, like, one of my first big movie jobs in mm -hmm. Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So he was big to me that way. Yeah. Uh, Spaceballs. Mm -hmm. That was that was a biggie. Um, well, now I'm trying to think who played you when we did Spaceballs on stage. Damn it. No, no I don't come know. on. Yep. I was Rick Moranis that time. I didn't well, get to play yeah. Because, of course. Yeah. I made the helmet and everything. Yeah, no. In, in Spaceballs, I was captain of the guard. Mm-hmm. And I had one scene. I remember uh, Mel told me that Frank Langella was going to play the part, but he left, you know, he ended up not playing it, and he needed to replace him. And it came to see a play Bill Pullman was in, uh -huh. uh, Barabbas at the Los Angeles Theater Center. And Bill's at Bill's urging, Mel asked me if I would do Captain of the Guard. And I said, sure, and I auditioned. Uh, uh, Ford in Mel's office, and he says, okay, you got the part, let's work on it some, and we worked on it. He says, well, you'll shoot it Monday. And I think I was making $1,000 for the day, All right. and I could not imagine this kind of wealth falling onto my head. Of course. I mean, uh, I'm a guy who used to work $200 a week. Mm -hmm. I'm a guy who went on an audition for Larry Buchanan, who directed Mars Needs Women. Uh-huh. And I sat in the waiting room, and he came, and I ended up going back in the audition room, and Larry Buchanan said, Well, Stephen, you know, I know a lot about movies. I've done everything there is to do in movies. I've written, directed, I've acted, I've gaffed. <laughs> I've done the sound, I've done the editing. But there's one thing I don't understand. I go, yes, sir. Air conditioning. I go, what? Do you know anything about air conditioning? Uh no, sir, I don't. Because the air conditioner here doesn't work, and I was looking to find someone who could check it out. I go, no, sir, I, I don't. He said, all right, well, thank you. And that was my audition for Larry B. Can. So this was the kind of career I had. And then I had Mel Brooks say, you get $1,000 to do the captain of the guard. And so I showed up Monday, and they never got to my part. And I was very depressed. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, come tomorrow. Tuesday, never got to my part. Uh -huh. Wednesday didn't. Thursday didn't. Friday, they got to my part. And I was going like, man, you know, I was here all week. And the AD says, don't you get it? You get paid get every paid, day you were here. I said, you mean I made $5,000 for captain of the guard? <laughs> and, and the other shoe dropping was in 2002, I was doing a play on Broadway. And I was nominated as uh, best featured actor along with, drum roll, mm -hmm. Frank Langella. So, and Franklin Jill won. So, I, anyway, at one of the pre-Tony uh, parties, mm -hmm. I came up to Frank and said, you know, in a way, I owe it to you that I had kind of a career because if you hadn't backed out of Captain of the Guard, I wouldn't have gotten that job with Mel. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, well, you were going to play Captain of the Guard. I was never going to play Captain of the Guard. I said, well, Mel told me I was never going to play Captain. Uh -huh. What? Are you saying I'm a liar? Do you want to go out in the alley now? And I'm saying, no, Frank, no. Don't want to go out in the alley. Just Anyway, happy to have played Captain of the Guard for no reason at all. I had no reason to talk to you at all. Good luck. That's phenomenal. It was terrible. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's it's one thing to meet your heroes. It's another thing to meet people who live on whatever plane Frank Langella is on. Yeah, you know, that's a that's a he's in his own world. I would imagine. I would imagine. Did you see? Did you see that uh, Captain Fantastic that came out last year? No, I did year? not. I wanted to see it. Oh God, it's spectacular. Mm -hmm. It's so good. Matt Ross, mm -hmm. who's on Silicon Valley. Oh yeah. You know, Hooli, head mm -hmm. of Hooli. He wrote and directed it. Mm -hmm. He wrote and directed it. 
It's one of the best movies in years. And Frank Langella gives a performance in there is one of the great, uh, if you even want to call it an antagonist performance. He mm -hmm. is the antagonist. You would have to say he is one of the antagonists in the movie. Mm -hmm. One of the guys that stands between our hero and their goal. And he's a hard ass and he's a mean guy and all of that. But I got to say, it is a performance with such breadth and depth and humanity, it, it doesn't even come off as an antagonist. That's Frank has become my new hero because mm -hmm. of that movie. You've both played Nixon, too. Keep that in mind. Yeah, but he got paid for it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I was doing, I, I, I just throw this out as I was doing uh, Invisible Man mm -hmm. with John Carpenter, and I went. We shot some in San Francisco, mm -hmm. and they were playing my Nixon thing on the radio, even though I had only auditioned for it, and they never hired me. Oh, no. So they stole my audition and put it on the radio, and I got no money for it. Oh, my That's, God. if anyone's listening to this, this is the kind of business <laughs> show business is. It is a bitter, bitter, bitter cup of woe. I'm going to cut everything you've said into this into my own thing, my <laughs> separate project. <laughs> Jason is my hero. Yeah, it's going to be one of those. Yeah, yeah, those it'll things. be great. It'll, it'll be, great. be fantastic. You yeah. guys are going to love it. <laughs> um, is there a re so if you're going to take my son the nut aside, you, you've already made the argument, so I feel like this is redundant. So, but if you want to condense why listen to this if you've never heard it before, especially if you're younger. Uh, and you don't know who the hell Alan Sherman is, why give this album a listen? You've already done it, but if you want to condense I it. I would say on the simplest level, it's funny. Mm -hmm. on, on the more complex level, don't think that anything in this album is done by chance. Yeah. If, if you want to be a good detective, if you're a young person and listen to this album, not only will you enjoy it, but everything in this album has meaning that means something to your parents or probably grandparents at this sure, point. Yeah. And it completely describes a world, almost like science fiction now, mm -hmm. a world that doesn't exist anymore. But if you listen to it and really go deep into the meanings of each song, you will understand something more of where civilization came from to dump you in this awful, awful place we are now. <laughs> <laughs> it was the beginning of the end, guys. If you want to look at my son, the nut, it was that was before everything blew up. That's the that's the saddest recommendation Sad. of an album. I no, love. but it's great. It's great, it's and yeah. and I have enjoyed the project of getting into it and listening to it again and being in awe. Of, and and I tried to divorce myself from the idea that my past is tied up with these images. Mm -hmm. And I tried to think with new ears, what does someone hear about this? And I go like, if I was a, listening with new ears, I wouldn't understand what I was hearing any more than someone who is not religious pick up the Bible and they read like part of Leviticus. What the hell are these people talking yeah, sure, about? Sure, yeah. You know, but it's like if you go deep into it. It goes, my son the nut goes as deep as you want to go. That's perfect. Yeah. I love it. Uh, this is going to come out in a few weeks. Okay. Where can people find you online? Is there anything coming up in a few weeks? Yes. I would say uh, definitely uh, I would urge everyone to run, don't walk, to go see uh, on Netflix one day at a time. It is one of the most remarkable series I've ever been a part of. And I've been in hundreds of shows. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying One Day at a Time is a show that is different from any other. It makes you laugh from a place you never knew existed. And in a second later, it could break your heart, not with sentimentality and not with somebody yanking your chain. Mm -hmm. But it, it makes you weep from a point in your life that you never knew you had. It is a beautiful, beautiful show and enormously funny. Uh, Justina Mercado, just Justina Mercado is our lead, and you should just watch it to watch her performance. It's one of the great leading lady performances ever. And Rita Marino plays her mother. Oh, that's great. Give me a break. Good God. And I get to dance the tango with Rita Marino. Holy cow! Holy cow! Let me tell you. Oh my goodness! But I would do that, and also um, let me let me mention this. I'm on book tour now, mm -hmm. and I'll still be on book tour in a few in in 
as the coming week, my book, uh, My Adventures with God. Mm -hmm. This is more short stories uh, like my last book, Dangerous Animals Club. Most of the stories are funny, true stories from my life. Mm -hmm. And I'll be uh, coming to Manhattan and Chicago and Portland in the coming months and just look at my website, which is really simple, stephentobolowski.com. Stephen Tobolowski, that's me, dot com. That's what we do with the internet. We do the dot com. And it will have all of my uh, concert dates. So if, so if you're in especially Manhattan and Chicago, Portland, Seattle, look those up because I'm coming your way there too. That's awesome. Uh, and people, you don't have to have Stephen's encyclopedic memory uh, in order to enjoy this album. Uh, but it certainly, it must help. I have to imagine something like that helps. Does something like that, listening to like an Alan Sherman, where you like, you know you have to process all this and remember all this stuff, do you think that helped you retain information? That kind of thing helped you retain information? Because you do it remarkably well. I, I th No, I think this is true, that there was something about the album that made me want to understand the jokes more as a child. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to, find out who Thoreau was. And I wanted to find out what uh, what these songs were, Ceci Bon. I wanted to know what the original material was. Mm -hmm. And and so I think it really forced me to educate myself more. I wanted to be uh, part of civilization mm -hmm. as opposed to p part of modern culture. Yeah. Which I don't know if this album ever was. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's found a place on this podcast. Well, certainly times. for a few months. For uh -huh. a few months, it was the number one song in America. So great. I love it. Thank you so much for doing this. Pleasure, Jason. You Pleasure. are welcome to come back, of course. Thank uh, you. No pressure. Thank, uh, you. thank you guys for listening. Uh, I will just say go to bit.ly forward slash comedy albums. That's where you'll find Celery Sound Records, which is my tiny little sketch comedy record label. And that's it. I, you know, actually, I don't, when this is coming out, I don't know when our next drinking game show is, but we have done in the past Spaceballs. We have done in the past Groundhog Day. I've also played Marty McFly. If you're in LA, come see a drinking game. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you don't have to drink if you don't want to. Um, and then that's about it. But anyway, thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune into the new Stand Up channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. 